0: Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, welcome back to Words, the Bee Gees Podcast. And we're looking at the first officially released debut solo Bee Gees album, Robin's Rain.
1: We thought we'd after doing Odessa, we thought we'd plow into this one. Rather go straight to the album, we thought we'd give you as much as we can, a bit of information we've managed to find and bits and pieces that led up to robin departing
0: yes looking at robin's reign i feel like for you we've come full circle because you said you spoke about it in the introduction episode that mother and jack and saved by the bell was the first gees related record you ever had
1: yes yeah it was had it been a few years later i probably would have brought the album and i, I sort of think to myself i wonder what the sort of nine year old me would have thought of the album i think the nine year old me would have enjoyed the first half yeah, as so the second side, there's a few there I would have definitely have skipped over, but we'll discuss that a bit later.
0: When did you first hear this album?
1: It would have been a unofficial copy about 2004, something like that. Wow, quite a while after. So it's probably, what have been, oh my maths are very quick. It <laughs> have been 69, 45, yeah, about 45 years after, it, uh, after buying the single.
0: During our discussions of Idea and Odessa, we mentioned a few times tensions that were building in the studio, disagreements between the three brothers. We've since lost Vince from the band. Uh, Colin has now left after Odessa, and Robin, there were some disagreements. The one that people usually turn to, I think, the the standard example is 1st of May being the A-side instead of Lamplight. 1st yep. of May, Barry's song, Lamplight, Robin's song.
1: Now, this one goes back to the 15th of April. So this is before Odessa. And an interview with Robin in Melody Maker, he quotes, I feel strongly about the whole thing. Lamplight should come off the album and not be the B-side. I think Lamplight will be a number one single. 1st of May might make number 10. I've never been wrong before. I felt dubious about To Love Somebody and Jumbo. Robin tells Melody Maker, which is only a week or two later from the previous one, he said, the Bee Gees will stay together because we are not like a pop group. We are writers and we like to perform and record the things we write. I hope we all stay together singing. So it was literally within a couple of weeks of the first quote. And I also saw, Chris, that... Um, on the 6th of March, the Bee Gees went to perform on Top of the Pops with 1st of May. But this would happen to be the last time that the three Bee Gees, plus Colin, will ever appear together in public in the 60s.
0: And that's from March 1969, and Bee Gees' first was end of 67, so within a year and a half... All this how has gone much, through, is not it? Yeah. Well, how you, much you, things have changed? Well, you've had
1: three single albums and a double, haven't you, yeah. in that period of time?
0: Yeah, a year and a
1: half. I mean, nowadays, you're lucky if you get an artist does two albums in that period, um, aren't
0: Yeah. It? In an article by Bob Farmer for Disc and Music Echo, dated June 28th, 1969, Robin says, Going solo was something I'd always wanted to do eventually. You can't stick with the same thing forever. It was a case of either staying with the Bee Gees until the end or getting out and achieving more on my own. And within a couple of weeks from your 6th of March quotation, Robert Stigwood issued a statement that Robin was to be sued. And this was on the same day that Barry, Morris and Colin are recording or going through early recordings of their new single, Tomorrow Tomorrow. So they didn't hang about then, did they? No. Around this period in mid-1969, Robin is also working on a musical score for a project that's titled Henry VIII. I looked into this and... Didn't seem to be anything that came from it, and certainly no music from Robin. And Robin was also working on his own film, and it was to be titled Family Tree. However, like a lot of the projects from this period, this is something that nothing ever came of. I've then found a quotation in the Ultimate Biography from Robin talking about his departure from the Bee Gees. And he says, "...when I left the Bee Gees, it was a complete split, and they all understood." I have my own life, my wife and my family to think of, as well as my own ideas. When I left, we split up professionally, but not as brothers. I write all my own material, but if it sounds to someone like the Bee Gees, that's just me. So there are signs here that he could go back to the Bee Gees, that he's not breaking up all ties with his brothers. Well, I think, it weren't they tied to a contract for two or three years? Whether that's got anything to do with it. Hence why Robert Stigwood was suing him. Yes. But ultimately, this story did have a happy ending. By the end of 1970, two years on comes out, the three Bee Gees are back together. Talking, what, literally 15 months? Yeah. To quote the Bee Gees from High Civilization, happy ever after. <laughs> that's it, yeah. So probably,
1: Chris, that's why they brought out the best of the Gees. Yeah,
0: all four members on the front cover.
1: So you had Odessa, then then literally this one come out fairly quickly afterwards. So I suppose to the public, it appeared that everything was still sort of fine. (laughs) Sort
2: of. It may have been a professional split, but not a personal one. We've all got our own ideas, but personally, you know, there's no bond broken, I don't think there ever will be. It's something that when the moon blows over, we'll be the same again, you know. Have you found what you want now as a soloist? Yes, but I don't think anybody finds exactly what they want. I'm quite happy to say that I haven't found what I, what I want, but I'm close to it. The album, which would eventually be called Robin's
0: Reign, had a different title to begin with. It was called All My Own Work, and it had a track listing that's nearly completely unrecognisable from what we ended up getting. So to go through the 11 songs, we've got Alexandria Good Time, The Flag I Flew Over, I'll Herd My Sheep, The Man Most Likely To Be, Love Just Goes, Make Believe. Probably this point, you're flipping over the album. I Was Your Used To Be, The Complete and Utter History, Seven Birds Are Singing, Sing a Song of Sisters, and Beat the Drum. I recognise hardly any of those titles.
1: Yeah, there's a couple. Um, Love Just Goes, Alexandra Good Time was initially going to be the B side of Saved by the Bell. Sing a Song of Sisters, Sing Slowly Sisters. Mm. Could, could be connected. Be. It could be. It could be Early Tide. But I don't think there's any recordings of any of these songs up we can find is there? And just a little side note to what we're talking about, Robin speaks to Disc and seems to say that he has 400 typewritten pages of stories and poems which form a book titled On the Other Hand I'm wondering whether some of them titles are, are from this poem book or story book
0: Yeah, because some of those titles are very odd, things like I'll herd my sheep Yeah and I Was Your Used To Be, The Complete and Utter History, Seven Birds Are Singing. They're very story-like titles that don't... I, I struggle to fit them into a song. But then again, this is the same person who makes Indian Gin and Whiskey Dryer songs. Yeah, so you yeah. never know. Yeah. And he also goes in the same interview as also
1: to say that they ask him about uh, the other two Bee Gees. Do you know what? I haven't had a word of congratulations from my brothers for Saved by the Bell. Not a word. I've got good friends around me and I can go over to Morris and have a jam session. Like the old days, any time I like. What's been done is done. It's, it's petty to
0: keep bringing up these squabbles again. Mm. Well, at that time, the other two brothers were too busy. Cucumbering it. Not, yeah, not, not forgetting <laughs> to remember. Yeah. We're referencing the 2015 Saved by the Bell collection, which was a fantastic reissue. And... Oh, it's superb,
1: yeah. Yeah, this one comes totally out of the blue. I mean, never expected this one. We'd, we'd see the of day of this one. Like many of the people, I've got bootlegs, which are so poorly, the quality's not, not good at all. But I think for this episode purpose, I think what we're going to cover is from when Robin left there to the end of 69.
0: Yeah. Without further ado, we'll begin our discussion of Robin's reign, starting with side one. Track one, August October.
2: Song to the sea August, November, May.
0: This is a fine record to open up an album with, I think. That's just what I put on my notes here. I've put it's great opening and I don't remember any Bee Gees album starting with a waltz. It, yeah, and it's a very Italian song. In the Liner Notes reissue book from the 2015 Saved by the Bell collection that Andrew Sanderville did excellent work for, there's a photo of Robin in a session and he's holding a hand harmonium and I wondered whether that photo is from the August-October session.
1: And whilst we're talking about this sort of style of music, listen to this, Chris, I'll tell you what it reminded me of. There's a a track by Harry Nielsen called I'd Rather Be Dead. It's sort of a sing-along song with with a lot of over-60s. And, and it's got that sort of sway thing to it and it, it, it just always reminds me of it. I'd
2: rather be dead I'd rather be dead I said dead Then wet my bed In August, October, the grass grew The sky was blue and I was.
0: There's the Baroque style to it, which we've seen quite often in the Bee Gees songs from this era, often that Baroque style. But it's, it's catchy, Chris,
1: isn't it? Yes. I mean, why this one didn't set the charts alight, I don't know, because it's it's more up than Saved by the Bell.
0: Something I have to talk about with this song and with this album, the rhythm box or drum machine. Robin was so ahead of his time and pioneering with the drum machine. Mm. Robin is about a decade ahead of his time to be using a drum machine and to be using it so much throughout the album, and to be using it really effectively. He's able to put a lot of character and a lot of charisma into the drum machine, as opposed to it just being a simple rhythm. Okay, on a few of the extra tracks that we'll get onto, it might just be a drum machine that's programmed to a 3-4 time. But on a lot of these songs, and particularly Mother and Jack, which we'll get onto, there's a real personality to the drum machine. And he's able to use it to great effect. I found it difficult to find any definitive list of who is recording at which session for this album and and dates for some of the songs. I think we'll get on to with some of the additional tracks where it's difficult to find out anything about the session information. And I was looking through online to try and find what the drum machine was or the rhythm box was that Robin was using. I looked at Modern Drummer's article on their website and they believe that Robin is possibly using a Seaberg Selector Rhythm drum machine. And I did some research into this drum machine and it was originated, I believe, from 1968 or thereabouts. Oh, okay, yeah. In the late 60s and Robin acquired or purchased this in Soho. Yeah. So putting it to good use. I know I just mentioned that Robin was being innovative with using the drum machine. I was really interested to find that the drum machine dates back to sort of the 1930s in in terms of its use. Yeah, I I didn't know that. I mean, I assumed he he used the
1: drum machine initially, I I think, as demos. Without a drummer. Without a drummer and obviously just a guitar and possibly other instruments like you
0: mentioned earlier on. But no, I wouldn't have thought it goes back that far. But this must be its first big commercial use, especially with Saved by the Bell as a massive single. Sometimes... It can overshadow the weaker production than Bee Gees albums.
1: We've said it numerous times that with Bill Shepard, he just knows how to finish a song. And this, to me, is what this is missing.
0: There is a denseness to the arrangement that reminds me a lot of Horizontal. I think that Zach Lawrence and Kenny Clayton do a fantastic job throughout this album, but there is a lack of clarity to the arrangement. Sonically, it's all packed very closely together, very dense. And yeah, we are missing Bill Shepard on this album. Even though I think that Kenny Clayton and Zach Lawrence do a fantastic job, I think at some points on this song and on some other songs, it'd be better off if the drum machine was lowered in the mix, or if things were separated out a bit more for us to be able to appreciate all the individual elements. For example, the bass is often unheard. You have to really try and listen in to the bass, which is doing fantastic work. That would be my main criticism for this album in terms of how it sounds.
2: You fly? I cry, it's today.
0: What do you make of the lyric, it's curtains today? No, I don't know. I looked it up and it's an idiom Meaning, it's the end. Whether that's the end, as in a death or a demise. Oh, okay. All right. So another little cheery. um... So even though it's upbeat, there is that. Yeah. Well, I've noticed on quite on quite a few of them, which we'll say later. The word down appears quite a lot as well. Mm. What do you think to the title of the album? I think that the title is very fitting, particularly when put together with the album cover, with that clean blue background and Robin standing in the middle. In his royal regalia, Royal, yeah. royal Guard Robin. Yeah, oh, it to me just looks a, a, a toy soldier. <laughs> Would that be foreshadowing his 80s song, Toys? Yeah. And also soldiers as well, from Living Eyes.
1: Yeah, yeah, so put the two together and you got Robin's right. <laughs> I mean, I sometimes think, listen to this album, it could have been called Saved by the Rhythm Box or Saved <laughs> by the, the Drum Machine. <laughs> I suppose... He's gone down a more simpler route, hasn't he? Because he hasn't got the harmonies of the two brothers to back him.
0: There are some songs later on we'll discuss where I think he uses his own voice to great effect as his own harmonies. He's excellent. Yeah, and as
1: I said, Chris, on the previous podcast, this one was covered by Elton John on one of those Hits by Other People albums. Oh, unusual for him to pick. Mm. He was just brought in as a session person to uh, do this one. And I'll have to check my notes. He also did "Save by the Bell as well. Oh!
2: October November May Beckoning hands make you fly I cry, it's today
0: How did August October perform in the charts? Surprisingly
1: after say other Bill did so, so well this one got to 45 the UK not released in America and Germany was a slight dip
0: for him, but it got to number 12. That's not too bad. No. For a solo artist. I mean, the Bee Gees we knew were popular in Germany, so it makes sense for them to be backing him up the charts.
2: I it
0: this is a really strong opener for me. As you said, a good choice for single... 8 out of 10. Do you know what?
1: Like, this is one of these where I keep... You said 8, and I initially I thought 7. Is it up there with an 8? It's probably one of the better songs in the album. And I know there's some weaker ones to come and slightly stronger ones. So yeah, I'll probably go with an 8 as well.
0: When scoring the songs for this album, I found that I was scoring them only within the context of what Robin could do. Mm-hmm. I wasn't comparing an 8 out of 10 on this album to an 8 out of 10 on Odessa. It was all within the context of, of Robin's range. We then go on to track two, Gone, Gone, Gone. Where is it? An immediate dip in quality for me, going into... Well, it is for me as well.
1: Preparing for this podcast, I went through a couple of um, things that other people had to say, and there's, there's one or two people that thought this would be, make a better follow-up than August, October. I mean, I like it, but uh, commercial-wise, they went with the right, with the right
0: one, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, I, I disagree with them choosing Gone, Gone, Gone. No, I wouldn't have gone with that at all. It's very much an album track. And it's also a clear example of how Robin tends to craft and construct songs. Robin likes to put great emphasis on rhymes. We'll get onto it with later songs, but for him, as long as he can get two words to rhyme, that seems to be an important way to structure the song. With Gone Gone Gone, we have cried rhyme with tried. We've got long rhymed with strong, rhymed with wrong. And there'll be times where some of the rhymes can be a little bit cringeworthy. They don't quite... Work within the narrative of the song but they're words that rhyme and they work well for Robin and he can probably sing them well which he can I know you've looked at the lyrics Chris do you know where, where Gone 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 comes from or where it's going or it's Robin reminiscing perhaps on the Bee Gees what, them long distant days past yeah days <laughs> gone by oh, two months ago <laughs> two months ago
2: yeah I just cannot see
1: this one is second of the album and it's also recorded the same day as August October
0: mm-hmm. I give it a 5 out of 10 I've
1: gone with 6 6
0: Track number three, The Worst Girl in This Town. This is where the drum machine really takes the lead. We've got a chugging, march like rhythm, which I think uplifts Robin's otherwise very spiteful lyrics. Yeah, fully mention
1: the lyrics. I've, I've put it, lyrics are very direct, mm. they're bitter, and it's, it just sounds like he's been cheated by somebody. Yeah. And then you hear the, the melody, which I can't see fits the lyrics.
0: He's quite happily singing the worst girl in the town and getting all bitter and twisted about something. Having an uplifting melody with otherwise spiteful lyrics is something that the Bee Gees do often. Look at you win again. Yeah. That's exactly the same thing. To me, it sounds quite undeveloped, this song. Could have done with another arrangement, maybe take out the drum machine and, or swap the lyrics to a different melody. Yeah, because I think, was Robin co-producer on this album? Yes. Yeah, co-producer with Vic Lewis.
1: I've also got a quote from the Joseph Brennan list of songs. The worst girl in this town was an experiment in sound that went a bit beyond the abilities of Robin and his engineers. The idea was to rave up by adding vocal tracks until it was just a noise, something like what other bands did with electric guitars. It almost works, but it needed more dynamic range and clarity. Yeah!
0: This is another one that sits at a five out of ten.
1: I've gone with a five as well, Chris.
0: Give me a smile.
1: Thank you.
2: (laughs) It's not the way you say to me I'll wave goodbye It's not the search to try to save the tears you cry.
0: It's very nice to have a Robin vocal warm up at the beginning of the song (laughs) and then a warm down at the end of the song. Well, I think this one is very
1: melodic. Yes. It's commercial and the the lyrics are very light hearted. I can see why it was chosen as a B-side. Yeah. I sometimes think this probably would have made a better song title for the album. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a smile. But um, I like this one, Chris it's, um,
0: I've listened to it a few times And sort of reminds me of a Burt Bacharach song It's funny you should say that In my notes I've got that the brass arrangements Remind me of Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head Oh, okay, yeah Again, we've got some crude rhyming in this song I can't get over me rhyming with thee I quite like it when it's then rhymed with sailor thee. Well, he records this one for the BBC as well mm-hmm. And that's, that's quite a
2: good version you and- It's
0: a good arrangement on this one. Well, this would fit onto
1: a Bee Gees album, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. As I say, we're four tracks in, and you're sort of waiting for a Barry vocal, aren't you, to come in? Before I ever heard this album, I was
0: apprehensive going into it. Because Because Robin's voice is quite an acquired taste, would you think? Yes, I find that I have to be in a certain mood to enjoy to really enjoy Robin's work. Mm. Brilliant though it is. Yeah, I think so. I mean,
1: I suppose everybody's got their, their favourites, haven't they? I mean, I veer towards Barry, but the um,
0: first thing I brought, as I said earlier, was Saved by the Bell. so... Your roots lie with Robin. Yeah. How long after the recording session of August, October and Gone, Gone, Gone was this recorded? Well, funny, Chris, there's quite a few songs for this album that
1: are undated. I would think probably two-thirds are, are undated for this album. The stuff that made the album sort of seems to be recorded a little bit later.
0: Yeah, I did notice that everything that ended up on the album was the tail end of Robin's work in 69, whereas all the bonus material seemed to come before and during the period that he recorded Saved by the Bell.
1: I would think after the Bee Gees split, he just went into the recording studio, whatever it is, with his drum machine and just poured his heart out and, yeah. um, on, on different things. And then... Once he got them, and then I suppose his confidence grew and started writing
0: more commercial songs than than the ones
1: that uh, he attempted straight away.
0: Yeah. This is uh, an improvement for me from the past two songs. I've given it a six. Yeah, I've gone with a six as well. It's a rainy day here in England where we're recording, so it seems fitting for the next title, Down Came the Sun. Well, we don't
1: see much of the sun anyway,
0: do we? Yeah, what's the sun? Yeah, what's that?
2: You like to think that you are Admiral Nelson With a gun A wife and son So why don't you grow up and be a policeman And probably then You'll be with men
0: I love the melodramatic orchestral opening. It fits very well with Robin in the Royal Regalia from the album cover.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he's, Robin's he's got lovely
0: vocals on this. Yeah. And it does remind me of something from Beaches First. I can see that with a I Can't See Nobody, House of Lords style to it.
1: Yeah, not necessarily, but it just the feel of, of the song.
0: This is another example of dense production on the album, like horizontal. There's a thickness there that I wish we had more clarity, that there was... A sparser arrangement and we could just have more isolated instruments but again we've got the drum machine chugging away which is which helps the song and it helps the entire album
2: Down came the, the, world has finally won.
1: the music and the lyrics this one fit quite nicely together the first part of this song Reminds me of a, a song by Des O'Connor, who was sort of a middle-of-the-road entertainer. And uh, this, the song I was thinking of was called I Pretend. was actually the third best-selling single in the UK in 1968. The only two to beat it was number two was Mary Hopkin, Those Were The Days. And the best-selling single of '68 was Louis Armstrong's What A Wonderful World. It even outsold Hey Jude by The Beatles.
0: It's amazing isn't it?
1: And mm. The scores on this one I'm going with a 6
0: And that brings us on to the closing track on side 1 Mother and Jack I like this one
1: got fond memories for this one, Chris, because it was the B-side to Save by the Bell, which I said in our introduction was the first that I had by a BG, as opposed to the BGs. So of course, I've always been a bit swayed, as I really like this one. It's, it's sort of a happy, slight reggae-ishy type song.
0: Yeah, it has a Calypso feel to it, which is very forward-thinking, again from Robin, because... Throughout the 70s, Calypso and reggae starts to become really popular.
1: But when you look at the lyrics, it's about a family getting evicted.
0: I think it's clever in the way that it's done like a fairy tale. And this is another one on the album, where the drum machine is really there at the front, and it helps to move us through the story, almost like a second narrator to Robin's vocals.
2: They got no answer
0: when you first got that single um, as a child, "Safe by the Bell and Mother and Jack, did you always play it "Safe by the Bell, then this, or did you yes, some...
1: always Yeah, you always did the A-side, then the B-side. Then you probably play the B-side a couple of times, so you got to know it. So it, for me, it was always a, it was a strong single. Yeah. Did you ever hear it on the radio? I don't remember. I mean, I, I remember watching Top of the Pops from mid-60s. Funny enough, I watched robin sing saved by the bell on youtube and i don't remember it at all on top of the pops i see on the Save by the bell compilation that there's a slight difference in time between the mono version and the stereo i don't know whether you noticed it at all
0: yeah i noted it down there was a difference of about 20 seconds between stereo to mono listening to it it was in the outro in the mono version that's extended all right okay because
1: this this one along with saved by the bell was the first couple of songs they recorded or Robin recorded, in March.
0: So that's a big time difference then, going from recording this to then doing August-October. I believe that uh, Morris is on this one, on bass. Well, it's the most noticeable bass on the album.
1: Chris, there's an article by Joseph Brennan on Gibb songs, where he explains how Robin put together... Are uh, demos and then obviously the final recordings. First, he recorded himself playing either organ or guitar, accompanied by an electric drum machine, which we know about. And to this, he added one or more tracks of vocals. The resulting demos were then sent to Kenny Clayton, who wrote an orchestral arrangement, adding much detail to Robin's sparse melodic ideas, which we notice later on in, in, the, uh, in the demos. The novelty was that in some cases, the orchestra recordings were tracked right onto Robin's demo.
0: That goes with a quotation that I found from Robin, where he says, All my songs are the product of my imagination. I write the words and music at the same time, and keep them in my head. It's always been a hobby of mine, and it's just fortunate that I can turn it to good use. Songwriting is like an addiction to me. It gives me peace of mind, and my love for it is unlimited. I just can't see that there will be a time when music will fall away.
1: I've come up along another quote. It said that Mother and Jack was very good musically. It's a patchwork of short pieces in a John Lennon tradition helped along by Morris and Kenny's work.
0: I don't oh, see I'll, the John Lennon
1: No, connection. I don't. No, I, that's what I was trying to that because when this was recorded John Lennon was, was doing Cold Turkey to put Cold Turkey with Mother and Jack and then the John Lennon first album I can't see any connection at all but this one was a late
0: replacement because the original B-side was Alexandra Goodtime I can only imagine that Alexandra Goodtime was swapped for Mother and Jack because Mother and Jack feature on the album like you were with August-October I'm really struggling between a 7 and an 8
1: it's slightly different we're not basing it on a Bee Gees catalogue are we so if you like you said earlier if we put it on this album I'm going to probably go with
0: it eight yeah you've swayed me i'm going to go for an eight yeah eight out of ten and that leads us on to side two opening with the big single saved by the bell i i Alongside I Started a Joke, this is the other definitive Robin song.
1: Well, that's that's exactly what I've put in my notes. You've been sneaking at mine, <laughs> but that is exactly what I put for this one. But it's deceptively simple. Yes. How did it perform in the charts? This one did brilliant, especially for a first release. It got all the way to number two. It didn't chart in the US, I don't think. And obviously going on... Reaction to Bee Singles in Germany, it did really well and got to number five on that one. Yeah, so it reached its peak uh, around about the middle of August, number two. I mean, it was in good company. Number one was uh, Honky Tonk Woman. Just a bit further down, you've got John Lennon, as we mentioned earlier, Give Peace a Chance. And My Sherry Amore, Stevie Wonder, Clodagh Rogers, Good Night,
0: Midnight and Silla Black.
1: But yeah, yeah, very middle of the road. Charts, aren't they?
0: If, what I mean, type of songs are all of these? I know only a couple of them.
1: Well, Cilla Black, she was a, a, a big singles in the 60s, but she then, by then she was doing her own TV programme. Clodagh Rogers was an Irish singer, again in the vein of Cilla Black. And obviously Stevie Wonder's his classic My Sherry more. John Lennon's
0: Give Peace a Chance. So yeah, yeah, strong charts. You said before that Saved by the Bell didn't do much in the US. I think that a reason for that is because Robin doesn't sing with an American accent, whereas Barry can lean towards an affected American voice. Robin has the English accent. Whether that had anything to do with it? I don't know. Because, as we'll
1: see later on, when the Bee Gees got back together again, the, the big, the two big hits were the opposite way around. They had two real big hits, and the and in the UK,
0: nothing. And for some unknown reason, the UK didn't recognise How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? No. Which is ridiculous. There's a quotation from Joseph Brennan.
1: Saved by the bell has the right mix. The opening sweep of huge orchestra and the sing along chorus is the ingredients of Odessa, but shorter and catchier.
0: Yeah, he's got a good point there. This must have been a song that both Barry and Morris really liked because in 1991... I know what you're going to say because I went to see
1: them in 91 and they played this live. Yeah. I was really, really surprised to hear it. Yeah, as I said before, it's one that I brought first. So it's great to hear it.
0: And it's funny how over twenty years later his voice doesn't change. No, does not does it, not age a day. I will tell you one thing about
1: Robin: to hear him live then, or up, up until quite recently, his voice didn't falter live, did it? No, you, it was studio quality. <laughs>
0: Saved by the Bell, this is the beginning of Side 2. This is the seventh track on the album. Looking back over Side 1, any of those other six songs, could you imagine the Bee Gees ever doing live in the same vein as Saved by the Bell? Well, I've, I've always had a a
1: liking for Mother and Jack, whether it would have worked as a group, because it's it's, it's row Robin.
0: But then Morris is on the bass. Yeah, records. yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so we could have had that. I can't see anything
1: else. You might... Slip in August, October as part of a medley, but I don't think to hear the whole thing they would they would attempt it mm. on that tour in ninety one. You had really two. You had Saved by the Bell and also they'd, they'd redid Juliet as well. So yeah, because they did they did Juliet in eight. We got
0: in eighty nine, and again it, it was done in in ninety one. Yeah, they can they can pull back a few songs from Robin's solo catalogue. But they've got really nothing to draw from Morris and you know it's unlikely that they'd be doing Shine Shine or any of Barry's songs from his solo album. No. So it it makes sense that if they are going to do any of their solo songs, they would go to Robbins. Yeah. I think just give him the spotlight. Yeah. Lamplight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Saved by the Bell is a nine out of ten. Yeah, I'm going with a ten. We then move on to the next song on the album, Weekend.
2: Hello, I'm down. Take me for this weekend. I'm yours to borrow, tomorrow, good friend.
1: I like this. I think it's a lovely little song. I like the way the strings and then
0: later the woodwinds are added. Yeah, very pretty verse. But in this song, I found it difficult to understand what's the verse and what's the chorus. There's no distinction between No, there
1: isn't on this one, is there? Yeah, as we've said, it's a pretty song. We we? always
0: relate pretty songs to Barry, don't we? Yes, if he was singing this, it would be stripped down to guitar. I think so. There's some more crude rhyming in this song. We've got sunrise rhymed with eyes, shout, find me out. (laughs) What stood out to me with Weekend? When I was listening to this album, which I do on headphones, yeah, is that at around one minute, there's a really strange edit, or whether this has always been a problem with the song, where the violins on a certain track just seem to drop out of the mix completely, and it seems to go from stereo into mono, and then after about five seconds, it repairs itself. Uh, goes,
1: do you know, I've read an article about this, and I believe um, it was repaired for by Polydor of Germany. And what they had to do, they had to release it by going into mono. Okay. I think it must have been just an error in the, in the initial recording
0: of it. Yeah, where they mixed something down. Yeah. And, yeah. and in those days, when, if you mix something down from two tracks into one, things could become baked in and it was difficult to undo. Yeah, because I
1: assume that people must have thought when "Say by the Bell was going to come out, these little glitches would have been repaired. But as you said, they, they obviously couldn't do and, and decided just to leave it as it was.
0: This
2: weekend. I love
0: on side two, I think this song is much more upbeat than the songs around it this is sort of the last really positive song on the album until you read the lyrics again yeah yeah because we've got hello I'm down <laughs> I do wonder whether for this song it's I'm down as in I'm I'm unhappy or I'm down as in hello I'm down I'm I'm I'm, I'm down to go out I'm down yeah. to to be free this yeah. weekend.
1: I mean this one was actually a B-side to 1 Million Years. Mhm. Um it was released 28th of November but didn't chart. So not much um, to report on this one.
0: And its recording date again this one's unknown. Mhm.
1: It was done, well, it's unknown, but it's on the same tape as Give Me a Smile. So you we Weekend, Give Me a Smile. So I assume they're towards the end of the recording of the album.
0: Towards the Weekend.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I give it a six. Yeah, I'm a six, same as you,
1: Chris, on that one. Now we come down to Robin's little mini cut-down
0: epic. Yeah, we've got the three-minute extract, Farmer Ferdinand Hudson, which we'll play coming from Hudson's Fallen Wind
2: my my is
0: Yeah, I I really love this song, although I think that's just my love for longer, progressive music pieces coming through. Highly recommended to listen to the full version to hear where this shorter three-minute extract comes from. Farmer Ferdinand Hudson, it's the final section of the Hudson's Fallen Wind suite, and the song is about a disaster that happens at a farm, a, a weather storm which devastates the, the farming community. Yeah,
1: because I, I think of on this one, I think, well, I think it's about 12 minutes long, isn't it? Yes. What was his intentions for this? Do you think it was something that he just started and wanted to keep I expanding? Think it was
0: a story that couldn't be contained within three minutes. And I wouldn't be surprised if Robin would have liked for this to have been on the album. But the record company or the record label said, you can't have the 12 minutes, it's unheard of
1: because the, the- for a pop record. For the long version, I
0: think they're talking, aren't they, for nearly a minute before even the music hits, setting the in. scene. It's not a million miles away from Odessa, in that no. sense. No, great use of synthesizer again, so far ahead of its time, and I love. it
1: is, is that what's making that boop, boop, boop. which
0: I would describe a popcorn squelchy sound? Yeah, that grates on me a bit. I, I think th- to me, it represents the farmers trudging through the, the, muddy, oh, right. the muddy fields after the storm and also the raindrops dripping if this has just been a, if we just had some weather accident. But
2: a very ominous opening from the
0: Shorter section. That ominous opening, I think, is the storm that's taken place just before. Then we go into the farmer Ferdinand Hudson. But after going through that, he dies, <laughs> did not he? It, yeah, it's got a sad ending. <laughs> yeah. in, in, a, in a classic, <laughs> surprise, Robin, isn't it? In the same way as Odessa, the, the captain isn't saved, or the <laughs> sailor isn't saved, and here that he dies. Listen to every time Robin says Ferdinand. It doesn't say Ferdinand. He says he either says Fernidad or every variation. He says oh, okay. Fernidad. Didn't say Ferdinand. Yeah, I really like this one, but I don't think it can be overstated how forward thinking it is for Robin. For an album recorded in '69 and released early in 1970, to have an intention for there to be maybe a 12 minute song and then to eventually cut out a three minute segment and include it on the album.
1: Yeah, because I, I don't honestly know whether he's just experimenting in the studio and thought, well, I've done plenty of three and three, four minutes, and then we got to Odessa, where we went to six and seven minutes with with the big orchestra and everything. So I think he he got this song and he just wanted to expand expand on it, but it's a difficult one because Robin's known for shorter songs. So you at the time sort of '69, you have got groups. You're either a group art group doing singles, or you were an albums group. So he, you know, got like Kim Crimson and In the Future Genesis that it, a song had to have highs and lows, which took about seven or eight minutes. Yeah. So whether Robbie was thinking of that, he, he obviously liked that little bit of section, thought, well, I'll stick that in. And I suppose between him and the producer, they decided to pick the best part that would fit in with the rest of the album. Yes. I know this is one of your favourite tracks. Do you think that is the best part that
0: they've used? It's the part of the song that requires the least context. Listening to the whole 12 minute piece, if you were to take the opening three minutes or the middle three minutes... It's a part of the story that you you you'd need to hear the rest of it mm. to make sense. Whereas the final bit, when you've got the instrumental discordant build-up, you can kind of listen to that in isolation and it still just makes sense as, mm. a, uh, as a melancholic tune. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think they picked yeah. the best section. I could have sacrificed two or three other songs on this album to have had the full suite on there.
1: Well, going back to what I said at the beginning, this is the one a nine-year-old me would have skipped.
0: The score that I'm giving Farmer Ferdinand Hudson, it applies to the whole piece, uh, the whole 12-minute piece, and it's 8 out of 10. Okay, I'll probably go down as a 5 for me. This is my favourite on the album Really? But but I only discovered that through preparation for this episode The first few times I listened to the album I liked it, but I disregarded it But it was only recently, in the last week Listening to this album on repeat It hit me Oh, uh, okay And it's a beautifully haunting piece it's So atmospheric Oh, okay For me, I think the album took a little downward
1: turn With obviously the previous song And now this one it's lord bless them all and to be fair he sounds to me like he's singing in a church which is the atmosphere that it sets for me as well you know the church organ and then you get the image inside your head of an empty church with a a little vocal choir so it just set the image up
0: well and obviously the title and the arrangement they all fit don't they yeah this is a completely solo robin composition Uh, robin's playing the organ and he's multi-tracking his own voice. He is the backing choir. Oh, okay. It's Robin layered up. Uh, Robin described it as a kind of carol with a Christmas flavour. I can see that. It, yes, it, it I can. Uh, uh, a sort of downbeat Christmas carol. And it, it fits but... in with one of the extra tracks, which is all about Charles Dickens' oh, yes. Ghost of Christmas Past. And this one has got the flavour of some of the demos that didn't make the album. Yes,
1: it does. You've probably got Alexandra Good Time. Anyway, good
0: Goodbye Good World Yeah,
1: there's a couple of them And it, it's it's just embellished more than them For obvious reasons But um, no, I've got a lot to say on this one it's, it's, Obviously you like it way better than I do So mm. I think by now I've probably OD'd on on Robin But luckily the next one revives it But uh, well, not for me It doesn't, is it? No, I give
0: this one a 9 out of 10 But we'll
1: uh, oh, go I'm, on Oh, on. this one, again, same as the previous one I'm going
0: with a 5 well let's go on to our thoughts of most of my life.
2: Most of my life I've had to run away. I was again, and I just had.
1: Well, listening to this one, the first thing it brings to mind is Alone Again from two years on. That's the one that came to my mind anyway. I mean, I agree it's probably not
0: the most cheerful way to end the album, is it? I find it sentimental, but very saccharine. I find it goes on and on. It's a five minute song that could be over in three. It's repetitious, especially the last minute or two. It's most of my life and most of my life and most of my life. There are a few of the demos that we'll go on to talk about that that are similar to this song and carry a similar sentimentality but convey it much better. There are some thoughtful lyrics here. Life was a game and I just had to play. I like that one. Yeah. But again, it's the woman that I loved had slowly walked away. It's back into the worst girl in town. We're in that mood again. When you see reviews
1: of this album, it mostly comes across that it's down but going through it at the moment it seems to me more the second part of the album seems yes. to be or the way
0: it's been uh, um, sequenced yes listening to the demo version that's uh, even more melancholic and, and... it seems like a quite a bit slower and it seems
1: like it was recorded in the same church as Lord Bless All
2: The woman that I...
0: Yeah, this one ends the album for me with a five. Oh, I've gone with the six on this one. Okay,
1: right. We've only been recording this podcast for a half an hour to an hour or so, and we come to the first of the non-album singles called one Million Years." <laughs> Right, like the first three tracks on this album, August, October, Gone, Gone, Gone and The Worst Girl in the Town, this one was arranged and conducted by Zach Lawrence. It's amazing, I didn't notice that he
0: he did the first three and then the rest of them were by Kenny Clayton. And also that August, October is one of the singles As Is One Million Years. Yeah, but an A-side, for me, it feels like a perfect B-side. It's one that I struggle to retain in my mind i I keep listening to it trying to remember it but it goes in one ear and goes out of the other i would have gone with give me a smile to this yeah much better this is another mournful ballad not a million a million years not a million miles away from saved by the bell in terms of its subject matter
1: it's not such a big sound as saved by the bell is it no i can see why this this one was um wasn't a hit
0: and like lord bless all one Million Years is a very good example of what a lot of the additional tracks that we're about to talk about all sound like. They're all in the, this same style. Yeah. Because this one came out November and the album was released
1: in... February. In February. In the UK. You got six months saved by the bell and then this big long gap. So all the momentum that Robin got was saved by the bell was completely lost by the time this album came out. And yeah. obviously million, with million... Miles, or whatever, didn't do anything. Then it's um, it didn't bode well really for the album, did it? No. The only place where it did well was in Germany, and that got to number fourteen.
0: Okay. There is also another version, like August October, that was recorded in Italian.
2: <gasps>
1: I did read somewhere before, Chris, that um, um, unfortunately the album didn't do very well and it was re-released in the late 70s. I assume that's with the popularity at the time. Um, and it was, it was re-released on the uh, RSO label and they put One Million Years on as the final track, whether, whether they thought it finished the album off.
0: Do you think it works better as a closer than most of my life? No. I think it, it
1: it should have been put... I suppose they wanted to keep the album as people remember the album and yeah. st- and put that on the end as a bonus track. But if you were going to include it as part of the album, then no, it, it belongs... I would put it, if you've got a couple of slower tracks, slip it in.
0: Yeah, because it's another slow track to put on at the end of side two, which is already a slow side of the album. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it wants to go on
1: side two, but it wants to be in between
0: a couple of the others. Yeah. And even though I wasn't keen on most of my life, that has a better sense of conclusion and resolution to yeah. the album.
1: I think what we'll do now, we'll go back to the first recording session for Robin when he did Save by the Bell Mother and Jack. And shall we go into the uh, the B side or non-B side with Alexandra Goodtime?
2: Yep. Sounds good to me. Hey. soon be on its way world war one has
0: started this was taken off the b-side but going back to robin's original statement for the album all my own work this was going to open up the album alexandria good time open up robin's debut album Would you have listened to the rest of the album? Well, we'd
1: talk about opening tracks on Bee Gees albums, wouldn't we? Obviously, Odessa with Odessa. This would have been a plummet, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm.
0: To the bottom of the scene, for me, (laughs) this one. This is Robin at its most melancholic. Yes. Compared to the upbeat Calypso, Mother and Jack, this is another waltz or three, four time downbeat plod. There's not much of a
1: melody to it either, is there?
0: No, it's more of a story song. I think it's from the perspective of someone from the beginning of the twentieth century, start of the First World War. We get Robin's little history lesson: the Boer War. In... He likes talking about the wars, doesn't he? Yeah, and I do like the lyric in nineteen oh oh, which I've never never heard anyone refer to a year in that way. Well, I think, I
1: think in his later years he had something to do or some charity to do with the Royal Air Force.
0: Yeah, and we know that during their 1968 tour, promoting the idea that when they played songs such as I've Decided to Join the Royal Air Force, that they were joined by the Royal Air Force Orchestra. That led me to think, could you in any way imagine Alexandria Good Time, or any of these following songs that we're about to talk about, could you imagine them being taken to Barry and Morris and ever ending up in some way on a Bee Gees album, even if they were done with an orchestra live or whatever, in any context?
1: Well, regarding this song, I don't think so. There's not enough melody, for start, to me. It's Which we'll come across in a few of these sort of songs. I mean, it's very sort of... Ali's on a good time, then we've got the next song, which we'll talk about. They're, they're all in the same vein. I
0: listen to them, but I wouldn't listen to them on a regular basis compared to the other stuff. And do you think, looking ahead to the next Bee Gees album that would be released once the three brothers had reunited two years on. Can you see a connection between these types of songs like Alexandria Good Time and Robin's contributions to that album, Sincere Relation? Oh, definitely. That's that's a good pick, Chris. I mean, listen to that
1: one. I think this makes... That one, it was Sincere Relationship you said, isn't it? I mean, that makes Alexandria
0: Good Time sound like a party song, is not it? <laughs> and this is the sort of style that I think would go on to, is part of the reason why the Bee Gees dipped in commercial popularity in the early 70s. This is what they needed to move away from with Arif Mardin. Yes. And fortunately they did. We don't get, past 1973, we never really get any more songs like this.
1: They're too slow, too down. Yeah, I mean, there's some beautiful ballads, but this sort sort of style is is not... um, Do you go, it's more like a funeral march on some of them,
0: isn't it? Yeah. Okay, well, the next song that we'll be looking at is one called Janice.
2: Janice
0: So again, we're in 3-4 tempo. This one sort of
1: floats from the previous one to this one. Yeah. There's not a lot of mood change, is there?
0: But I prefer it a lot more. You do? I really like this one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. I remember it as a... Scratchy, hard to listen bootleg. So, it, <laughs> if any, saving grace has been able to listen to it in pristine. Yeah. It's okay. It's, uh, I think, outstays its welcome by about three minutes.
0: Because what is it, about five minutes in length? Five and a half minutes, yeah. and it takes two minutes to get to the chorus. The chorus is my favourite bit. Um, I like the chord progression there. It's melancholic, it's sentimental, and it's saccharine, but it does it in a better way for me than most of my life. I don't know what frame of mind he was in, but what other 19-year-old is
1: creating music like this?
0: Uh, I know this is me purely speculating, but I can imagine him wanting to get into the mindset of somebody else when he's writing and singing these songs, and with Alexandria Good Time being set around the First World War, he's putting himself in the mind of somebody in that situation of losing a loved one or a relative, and he's singing from their perspective. Yeah. So it's very heartfelt.
1: All these songs, there's not many I could imagine Barry tackling, is there? No.
0: Not many that I could imagine finding their way onto a Bee Gees album. I mean, obviously these two didn't find their way onto Robin's, did they? But <laughs> yeah. yeah, not for 40 years. <laughs> Before we go further with these extra songs, I'll read out a quotation that I found from Robin. And he says, I can write a complete song in my head and never hear an instrument. The first time I hear an instrument... Is in the studio. Now, this is contradicted somewhat by a previous quotation that I read out where he says that I write the words and the music at the same time and keep them in my head. But I can imagine Robin writing the lyric, having some sort of idea of the tempo or the type of chord or key signature that he would like the song to be in, and then presenting it to Morris or to Kenny Clayton or Zach Lawrence. Well, that then leads us on to the next song. Love just goes, and this is another one that could have been on that original set list for Robin's Reign.
2: Okay. Love just goes, but no
0: one knows. Again. I'm sounding like a stuck record, but another song in three, four time. I think it was a stuck drum machine.
1: Yeah. I prefer this one to the other two. Okay. Probably because it's a little bit more finished. Yep. Besides just Robin playing the organ, there's a little bit more going on. There's a little bit more to the melody as well. And the next one, Chris, is a complete departure. We've got a tune. Way! <laughs> it's called Moon Anthem.
0: This woke us both up from the past three songs. <laughs> yeah. I really, really like this one. Yes, I do. This piece goes by various titles. On the 2015 compilation Saved by the Bell, it's titled Moon Anthem. Um, but beforehand, I believe it was circulated and known as either To Heaven and Back or Heaven and Earth. And it's all about as well Moon Anthem suggests. It's all about the 1969 moon landing. Yeah. And uh, Space Race, 1969, science fiction was all the rage. Obviously, you've had humankind's race to the moon, Star Trek and Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. So I can understand why Robin would have been inspired to uh, write a...
1: A piece like this. Yeah. Very venturesome, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I found a quote that he did for New Musical Express in July 69... It said, Robin is scheduled today to front a 97-piece orchestra and 60-piece choir in a recording called To Heaven and Back. Mm-hmm. Inspired by the Apollo Moonland, as you just said. And also, in Record Mirror, Robin goes on to say that, I'm just finishing off my first solo LP, which has no title yet. There will be 14 compositions on it. One of the tracks is called Heaven and Back. It's a musical piece of mine and features a
0: 100-piece orchestra None of the numbers ever seem to match up for how big this orchestra was because that quotation from Robin in which he says that there was a 100-piece orchestra and a 70-piece choir meant to be 73-piece but then looking elsewhere and it seemed to say that this song along with the next that we'll talk about Ghost of Christmas Past was arranged for a 43-piece orchestra so whether Robin was exaggerating or one of the numbers was wrong but either way the end result is tremendous. Yeah.
2: What sort of future... Have you lined up for yourself now as a solo singer? Well, uh, musicals and plays and uh, conduct orchestras, as I have already done with uh, 100-piece orchestra and 70-piece choir. And uh, that was an experience and a half.
0: The piece has got great pomposity and there's drama building up, crescendos, and you can picture it when putting this music to the spacecraft landing on the moon and Neil Armstrong stepping out. There are moments in the song where you can really visualise that.
1: Yeah. So a 14-track album with a a song as long as this, I don't know how how tight he would have packed the other 13.
0: And I think it's a great shame because this didn't end up on Robin's debut album, it didn't have an official release, I think it would have been put to good use had they have used it as a suite for Trafalgar. Yeah, They could have used it on that album to really good effect. It's or got,
1: downsized
0: it a bit, couldn't they? Yeah, made it smaller suites that reprised throughout the album, give it more of a theme. But I think the way that they, the Bee Gees worked is they, they put this
1: between when they split up to when they got back in. Anything locked in there is like putting a, put a suitcase... And pushed under, put in a tin can, put put in a tin can, and pushed under the bed, never to be seen again. Mm -hmm. You know, we start, we've got back together again. We're carrying on as if start afresh, start afresh, finish Odessa. We're going to go straight into this as if nothing happened. Yeah.
0: Ghost of Christmas past. This is much more operatic than Moon Anthem, but of the same ilk. These were recorded around the same time.
1: It looks like it, Chris, yeah, you got Moon Anthem and this both down as
0: the twenty seventh of June. Supposedly sharing the forty three piece orchestra or however big the orchestra was.
1: Yeah, and again it seems before it comes into the ban of the of the Robin Gibb Orchestra, where Robin doesn't play or sing on either.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised that he's not even in... Well, he might be in the choir. There's an interview with
1: Robin sometime in August where he mentions Ghost of Christmas Past um, was going to be part of a Christmas special.
0: I've never read Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, so I don't know whether the lyrics in this song... No, is that, I've never read Is that Robin's no. lyrics or is that Dickens' words? I'm, I'm not sure. No, I don't know. But I'm very grateful that we've got both of
1: these. Prior to this, this coming out, I'd never heard... I think I might have had, a, a, again,
0: another poor quality of Moon Anthem, but definitely not Ghosts of Christmas Past. And after those two orchestral pieces, we're back to the land of melancholy. We've got Goodbye, Good World. Four,
2: five long years I've tried so hard to be so strong Goodbye, good world
1: Well, it's nice to have a change, isn't it, Chris, with this one? You're you getting a demo with guitar as opposed to organ. Yeah. Who's playing the guitar? I assume it's, it's all performed by Robin. OK. This comes
0: from an acetate.
1: It's probably a little bit more of a melody to it than the previous few.
0: Yeah, my thoughts would still be the same as to what I thought about Alexandria. A good time. Yeah. I regard it all as one. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I prefer
1: this one to to Alexandria. So, out of all the ones we've heard so far, there's nothing you'd put on to Robin's Reign at the
0: minute. Then I could put a shorter version of Janice on there. Yeah. Only on the condition that it replaces another downbeat song that's yeah. already on the album. Yeah, yeah. perhaps so swapping out one on site. One two. too many, isn't it? Yeah and if that wasn't enough downbeats <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. and if that wasn't enough downbeat songs to try and squeeze onto robin's reign we've got another you're going
2: away
1: Well, this one I've had on bootleg for quite a while and it's one of the songs that I was surprised wasn't on the uh, reissue. I did look into it a little bit and this arrived late. I think obviously Andrew was compiling it all and this one arrived late and I think there was an issue with the speed or something on it which have meant delaying the the compilation to come out. Okay. Going through the internet, there was a acetate sold and there were four tracks on it. This was, there was you, You're Going Away, which we just heard. There was Spread Your Wings on one side. And then the other side was Midnight to Dawn and Heaven in My Hands. So there are at least a couple of songs. If they were to do a, an expanded version. Could make their way on could, that. Could yeah. But this song, Chris, like the other ones, it's it's in the same tempo and sound as all the others, isn't it? Yeah. And now we're going to the next song, which is completely different, sort of, and it's called Lavender Water.
2: Her. Perfume, lavender water. One brown... I
1: don't think there's a great deal known about this, The only thing I can find out that it it was written for the Eurovision Song Contest, so I assume it's where they put six songs and then the UK public vote for which song they want to see in the Eurovision Song Contest. I assume this will be for the 1969 Eurovision Song Contest where um, Lulu won it with Boom Bang A Bang. Or won it, she shared it with about four other singers. Would I say pretty little song, but not memorable, is it? No, even though it's not Robin singing, you can imagine yeah. it in his voice. But thinking about it, Chris, we're doing all these songs in '69, and I've got on the internet looking at. There's an acetate from '69, but I don't know whether that means it was done in '69 in preparation for the '70 Eurovision Song Contest, or whether it was a song that was eventually rejected for the '69 one.
0: Yeah, because Eurovision takes place in the springtime. Yeah.
1: So these would have had to be done. And if you if that's a springtime, then they would have had to prepare the song. And obviously, at the time, Robin would have still be within the, the group. Yes. So I personally think it was probably written in 69 as Robin as a solo artist. And then it would have been put forward for the following year. For the 1970 yeah. year version. But I've no idea. I don't think the acetate even says who sings it. No. Does it
0: sound like anyone?
1: Well, it's in the vein of Mary Hopkin. And funny enough, she was our entry for the UK in 70, with Knock Knock.
0: Well, if there are any listeners out there who do know who this singer is on Lavender Water, then please do get in touch. We'd be really interested to find out exactly who it is.
1: For the purpose of this, we'll jump back a year to, or to June 13th, 1968, where Robin did quite a few demos that he put uh, forward for the Idea album. And all but one of them appeared on the Save by the Bell compilation. I don't quite know why that one got left off. I can't see any explanation as to why it got left off. Indian Gin and Whiskey Dry obviously went on to Idea. Comes from Christmas Eve or Halloween Was developed further for idea But as we saw it was used As the additional tracks Yeah But I think I'm right in saying I think these demo of that song Contains an extra verse
0: Yeah there is variation So with that in mind then Shall we go into the first one The band will meet Mr Justice The
2: band will meet Mr Justice They'll greet with open arms The crowd will cheer Mr Justice They hear he owns many farms
0: When listening to these six demos, the ones that made their way onto the compilation, I see them less as six individual songs, but as one... Piece. It's Robin going through all of these songs that he's recently written and it's a great way of finding out about what the recording studio and what the recording sessions were like for Robin. I love the chatter that we get between the producer or the engineer through the talk back to Robin. We're all here.
2: We're rolling. Pardon? We're rolling. You're rolling are you? Yeah. The band will meet Mr
0: Justice. We'll also then get him every so often saying, "I can't do any more because my voice is going, and I've been flying for the past two days." Finally, you know it's good. I've been flying for two
2: nights. Bear that in mind. You'd better leave that as it is. Actually, I think that's all I'll do for now because I've got much voice. I will do more. Okay.
0: So it's a great insight into Robin's life and just how proceedings went in the recording studio. The band will meet with Mr. Justice. It's a fine little song. I can understand why it was rejected, perhaps, by the other brothers and Vincent and Collin for idea. It's a little bit of like a Bob dylan type song, this one.
2: Yeah.
1: There's not much highs and lows in it, is there? It sort of plods along at one... Monotone. Monotone, yeah. Yeah, I put this down as one of Robin's quirky little songs. It, it, It's songs that we we get to hear less and less throughout the next few albums. Yeah. There's one thing about these demos... The quality is far superior to the demos we get for Robin's Reign. Yep. And I prefer to hear
0: Robin strumming a guitar as opposed to, to that drum mm-hmm. machine in the background. And I, I think that's because a drum machine is a programmed device. So therefore, there's you have to program in any sense of any characteristic. You have to program that in and, and, and make it feel a bit more humane as opposed to a guitar with well, the guitar, you, you, if you're
1: looking for a melody or whatever, you can feel your way around the song, can't you? And yeah. You, you, your limitations are
0: limited. And you, no matter how good your hand is at playing a rhythm guitar, you're always going to be playing it to a slightly different tempo as opposed to a, a rhythm box or a drum Which machine. stays the same, yeah. Always the same, yeah. always at 3-4 four or 4-4 four, four mm. or whatever. Yeah, so as I
1: would, I tend to prefer these these demos to what we've heard previously.
0: Yeah. For the next one, the People's Public Poke song, I think Robin's uh, Gone to the Zoo.
2: Lawrence the lion, had a large wide office that looked owned by Tate and Lyle. Peter the penguin, in the 14th century, made a very small night. Oh, how they laughed, all the dogs in the neighbourhood, how they laughed. Oh, how they screamed, all the dogs in the neighbourhood...
1: Yeah, I see where you're coming from on this one. It's uh, definitely would have put variety on the next album. We, I suppose we'll never know, will we? It was, it was as you said, it's just a little ditty that um, we talk about it. These extra songs where the Bee Gees go into the studio and they they mess around like completely unoriginal. And this sounds like one of them sort of songs.
2: Yeah.
0: Indian Gin and Whiskey Dry we shared our thoughts about that song in the episode discussing idea but we get an early version a bit shorter, uh, obviously underdeveloped there's no contributions from Barry or Vince or Colin or the
1: others. But just listening to the demo you can hear that it's it's a quality song Yes. It, it stands head and shoulders above all these Yeah,
0: Yeah, I completely understand why it was the one that was selected And the next one on the list we've got is The Girl to Share Each Day I want
2: to be with you For some bright and sunny way You're the girl to share each day With me
1: Any thoughts? Apart from it being very similar to the band We'll meet Mr Justice in that sort of vein
0: Yep I think that the verse is quite pretty. Yes, yes. It,
1: it's it's the beginnings of a decent song.
0: But like these demos,
1: and he took them to the band, they picked a the couple that they liked. And I think Robin must have thought, well, obviously the other two decided
0: not to take them any further. He agreed with them and put them all to bed. And also what's interesting about The Girl to Share Each Day is that more than any other song from this period that we've spoken about in this episode, this is quite a direct love song. Mm. he doesn't do that much in the songs that we've looked at they're usually about the war or they're about animals in the zoo or about bands that will meet Mr. Justice mm. or whatever they're not about this is a girl that I love and so this is the... it relates to Molly yes, yeah, and there's not many of them yeah
2: If this was Christmas Eve or Halloween.
0: Next is come some Christmas Eve or Halloween. Again, like Indian Gin, we've discussed our thoughts on this one in a previous episode. And then next
1: is My Love Life Expired, which I don't know why, but it got, it's not on the um, reissue. So whether there's an error with it, fault, or I don't know. And then that just
0: leaves the last one, Heaven in My Hands. Which I find to be very similar to A Girl to Share Each Day. Yeah, similar tempo, similar mood.
2: i have heaven in my hands I swear from above All your skies will be clear
1: Well, the thing about this song, Chris, there was a acetate that came up for Sal six, seven years ago with four songs on it. One's called You're Going Away, which we've talked about. Spread Your Wings, on one side. And then on the other side, we've got Heaven in My Hand and Midnight to Dawn. There's a couple there that we've heard and a couple we've never heard. But what it says is that these songs have never appeared commercially on anything, not even bootlegs. Well, obviously, this was done before.
0: Saved by the Bell. Yeah.
1: These demos feature just Robin on his own, accompanying himself with no band or orchestra.
0: It would be nice to hear those other songs, Midnight to Dawn, they might, just the be be, wings, they, yeah. they might just be of the same tempo as the they're or, bound
1: to be, aren't they? So I think, Chris, that just leaves us now. We've done the demos. There's three other ones I've got. I've got a title called 40 Days, 40 Nights, another one called Old Fashioned Band, and another one called The Statesman. So just prior to the album, Robin taped a BBC session with uh, Johnny Walker, who's still on Radio 2 on a Sunday afternoon. Yes, he is, yeah. Yeah, and he does... Um, Different versions of Saved by the Bell, Give Me a Smile, Weekend and October. So this he would have probably done ready for the album to come out because it was premiered
0: on the 30th of January. So that's a, yeah, about a month or a few weeks before the album yeah came out in the UK. Yeah.
1: And then just after that, Robin goes over to um, New Zealand for his first solo concert.
0: Yes. Yeah, he you- taught this quite heavily again we'll we'll talk that
1: in next podcast of robin's yeah because i think that was sort of january february 70
0: we'll now take a look at the critical reception of robin's reign and its legacy since release on all music bruce Eder says that mother and jack offered possibilities for a new leaner different sound but as it was the album couldn't get far enough away from the bg's own roots to count as more than a footnote albeit an often beautiful and reasonably entertaining one. Robin would do better and generate more lasting music with his subsequent solo albums in the decades to come. And then from the Ultimate Biography, unlike Robin's more workman-like brothers Barry and Morris, Robin seems to rely on flashes of inspiration and is less able to turn such moments into fully realized songs. Nonetheless, while it disappointed some fans, It served its purpose as a showcase for Robin's individuality. I completely agree with that. Yes, I do. I mean, as usual, I've just dipped into
1: Record Collector. They don't really say too much about the album. It says, the set was written and produced by Robin. It was not a commercial success, and it is a record that Robin would rather forget.
0: As we said earlier, there is a happy ending. Robin does return to the band, and I found a Record Mirror interview with Colin Peterson dated May the 17th, 1969. I can't see the group continuing without Robin. He's got such a strong voice, but I have nothing to do with the quarrel. It's a family matter to be decided among the brothers. So even Colin realised that the group really couldn't continue with just Barry and Morris or with any less members. Robin needed to return, and he did.
1: End of 69, it was going pretty well for the other two wasn't it yeah which we'll go to on our next podcast
0: looking at uh, their
1: their blaze through 1969
0: when the bgs was just two we've both done the number crunching and so uh, we've got the results for how our scores compared from before and after so you went up from a 6.2 to a 6.5 okay so it's a little bit of um improvement yeah i stayed the same 6.8 before and 6.8 after but that could suggest that I, I've heard the album a lot longer than you, but there's probably been more of a gap. Yes.
1: Between me listening to it and you listening to it.
0: Yes. Okay, I'll ask you a hypothetical question. You're a Bee Gees fan from 1967 onwards. You've just heard Odessa. Yeah. Then you find out Robin's releasing a solo album, you hear Robin's Rain. Would you have been underwhelmed? Would you have been surprised? Would would it have been the album that you expected him to release? Oh, you, you've caught you've caught
1: me on the hop there. But I, I would say it's pretty much what I expected the first side, which I think I probably said a little bit earlier. It's that second side with, with Fernando's farm and bits <laughs> and pieces. So I would say first half, yes, and beginning of the second half. But then I think the last three, three tracks I would have been disappointed with. Mm-hmm. It makes you look at, when you think of sale, you know, in hindsight, look at sales figures afterwards. I wonder how many people actually deserted them after the, sp- after the split and didn't bother. Because if you look at the chart positions pre-split to after. And yet, strangely enough, it's the UK people that deserted them. With Lonely Days and head and Broken Heart both got to number one.
0: And the UK... Yeah, that's always the most fascinating thing. in The Bee Gees in the UK in the early 1970s to put out a song that's as good as How Can You Mend a Broken Heart and for it to just not get any traction on UK radio or in the charts is, is so strange to think of in hindsight. But I think that that was just the result of, that was the negative consequence of the media publicity that the Bee Gees were getting. During that period they were presented as three squabbling brothers Who were, you know, bickering at each other and just was negative and detrimental to their chart positions and to the success of their albums. Fortunately, getting towards Mr. Natural main course, they managed to get rid of that negative stigma. But regardless of how successful or unsuccessful Robin's reign was, or how it's been perceived at the time or today, I have to say that through doing this podcast my opinion of the album has still improved through doing the research well, that's good. finding out the context behind all the songs going through it with you i it's not a throwaway album is it no and my respect for robin has increased greatly to be able to write this many songs regardless of their quality for a 19 year old to be in the studio and just putting out demo after demo after demo it's completely inspiring and then In a later episode,
1: we'll see in 70, where the work rate doesn't stop. No. In fact, it probably increases. Probably, it's their most prolific 1970, I think, of their career. Mm. Yeah,
0: I look forward to getting into that. It's like a treasure trove of material.
1: Yeah, that's itching to be released.
0: Cough, cough. (laughs) And while we're wrapping up, I think it'd be a good time to thank Andrew Sanderville. Without his work on the reissue, this episode would have been really difficult to do. The man did amazing. I mean, his, the book we use is
1: a Bible, isn't it? And yeah. then this, this tremendous work he's done with this and all the
0: contributions from the people that gave him the acetates.
1: Yes. To my ears, they, they sound really
0: good. Yeah, we're indebted to uh, his work and to the work of all the other people who make these reissues possible. Please keep them coming. Yeah, Hopefully. please. Right, well, in that case, we'll leave you with a preview for the next episode. Thank you for listening to Words, the Bee Gees Podcast, presented by Stuart and Cristiano Jepsen. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Words Bee Gees Podcast and on Twitter at Words Bee Gees Pod. Or, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at wordsbeegeespodcast at gmail.com.
1: Jibber jibbering, jibbering, <laughs> jibber, jibber, jibber. Uh-